Walkers. Welcome to No Prize from God, episode 13. No Prize from God features conversations with creative people about belief, unbelief, and everything between. I'm your host, Ryan J. Downing. Our guest this episode is Chad Johnson, former A&R executive for Tooth & Nail Records and author of the brand new book, 1,000 Risks. In the late 1990s, Chad Johnson transformed his mail-order record disco into the DIY label Take Hold Records, based out of his bedroom in Birmingham, Alabama. Take Hold Records number 8 was Active Depression, the 1999 debut album from a group of Florida kids calling themselves Under Oath. Take Hold was also home to Through the Eyes of Caitlin, a side project of Zao co-founder Jesse Smith, which is actually how I first came to know of Chad and got in contact with him back then, and a split EP featuring Further Seems Forever with a young Chris Caraba on vocals. Like most labels of the era and scene, Take Hold was driven by passion first and commerce second. In fact, by the time Tooth & Nail Records took notice of the Christian-leaning bands Chad had quietly helped to develop, Take Hold was deeply in debt. In 2002, Chad sold the label to Tooth & Nail and accepted an A&R position with them in Seattle where he continued to work with Under Oath as the band grew to release important records, two of which were certified gold. And at Tooth & Nail, Chad was instrumental in discovering and signing bands like Anne Berlin, Haste the Day, As Cities Burn, Beloved, He Is Legend, and he worked as A&R with Further Seems Forever, Me Without You, and more. Then at the start of 2009, Chad abruptly left the traditional music business, quitting his job at Tooth & Nail to launch a self-described missionary music adventure with a pay-what-you-want or pay-nothing-at-all model. And again, this was 2009. 100% of proceeds were to go to humanitarian and mission organizations, and all physical CDs and LPs would be packaged with recycled material. Come and Live staffers, including Chad, who has a wife and two kids, pledged to rely solely on personal fundraising to support themselves, putting a radical faith in Jesus Christ to provide their earthly needs in this new pursuit. In the nearly 10 years since, Come and Live has grown and transformed in various ways. Chad has traveled to different parts of the world. And the heart of their mission remains steadfast. As I mentioned, Chad has just released his first book, 1,000 Risks, Fighting Fear for an Awkward, Awesome Life with Jesus. Now, wherever you land on the faith spectrum, Chad is a fascinating guy, someone who will approach strangers and pray for them in a way that's anything but Ned Flanders. He's somewhere between hippie troubadour ambitious faith healer and dad joke making grown-up hardcore kid. Chad is a person who bubbles over with genuine joy, intertwined with confessional insecurities, which lends an authenticity to the work that he does. He's not so enamored with the specifics of complicated theology, and he certainly avoids polarizing politics in my experience. I've never heard him breathe a word of fire and brimstone. He's not old-fashioned in the tent revival sense. He's old school in the New Testament sense, approaching every interaction with wide-eyed wonder and purposeful positivity. I was both flattered and honored when Chad asked me to write something for his book, and this is what I gave him. Even for the more skeptical and, let's face it, cynical among us, it's impossible not to feel inspired around Chad Johnson. His faith is something palpable in the air surrounding him, an almost tangible electricity that supercharges everyone he meets, from prominent rock stars to the families living in dire poverty around the world. Chad isn't wearing a costume of piousness. He's as real and relatable as they come, which makes his persistent joy and insistence on the gospel all the more powerful in real-life terms. 1,000 Risks is a book about forsaking the world in pursuit of saving the world. 
one person at a time, with the absolute trust of a child in the guidance and faithfulness of our Creator. So here it is, my conversation with my old friend Chad Johnson. This is No Prize from God. So let's let's start at the very beginning and, and actually uh, learn. I'm sure a few things that I don't know about you. Um, oh, that's that's kind of hard to believe, but I, I but know, okay. Right? Um, <laughs> tell me a bit about um, your parents and your childhood wow. and uh, and growing up and what you were mm. like as a kid and what sort of uh, you know within the context of yeah. faith and life's bigger questions and when and where all sure. that entered in for you. Well, did you have you been on my Facebook uh, page recently? Yes, sir. You have. I have. Oh, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. So you are you are more prophetic than what I think you know. But uh, my the reason I say that is because I I had an incredible upbringing and um, I grew up born in Chicago, lived there for a few years until my parents became full blown missionaries to no other place, Ryan Downey, than the Caribbean. Somebody has to serve Jesus in the Caribbean, and my parents signed up. I was, I was, you know, not disappointed to leave snow for uh, for the Caribbean. But um, when I was thirteen, my my dad got me my PADI certification, so I began the process of scuba diving. We would do like night dives, shark dives, shipwreck dives. Um, wow. Literally, at, at one point, caught a lobster nearly with our bare hands and then brought it home huge spiny lobster at like 60 feet underwater brought it home cooked it that boiled it that night had had some butter and garlic and you know as fresh of a lobster as you could possibly hope for so um so yeah i grew up uh, living overseas for for i guess about 15 years of wow. my childhood life and um, the reason I say you're prophetic is that my on my if you visited my Facebook profile, you would probably see quite a bit of people talking about my dad. So my dad is in the fi very final stages of um, congestive heart failure. So he is um, in a hospice center awaiting his uh, the resurrection of his, the final death of his temporary body for uh, resurrection and, and permanent time with Jesus. So. Um, yeah, man. So it's actually really, it's super challenging 
in the sense that our whole family is dealing with the the um, loss before the loss. You know, it's like yeah. the the pre. You know, it's so weird because right now. I'm, I'm working on a book and so I, I'm doing, as you know, I'm doing these pre-orders and so there's so many weird, eerie similarities between the birth of a book project and, and the dying of my dad that it's like, yeah. man, what is happening? But but there's a pre, uh, you know, right now I feel like our whole family's kind of in this pre-morning, pre-loss, maybe not pre-morning because we're already morning, but I think just, just, um, just the struggle there, you know, and realizing that life is temporary regardless of how old you are um, or who you are or what you believe. And, uh, but yeah, man, my, my upbringing was amazing. I have, I have three siblings, um, the ironically, all of us follow Jesus very, um, radically and do a variety of different Jesus or quote unquote kingdom activities to steal a sleeping giant line or song title, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of those guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, it's, it's, it's really, yeah, it's, it's been really kind of God to give us a, um, to give me a family that's, that's just been really committed and super. One of the things that, that my dad, uh, has been doing is someone's actually been reading him my book. And so there, there's oh, wow. this really crazy, like, you know, for him, one of these last, one of his final goals is, is to, is to read my book. And so there's just a, a weird, heavy, um, yet beautiful kind of connection between, I was, I've never been super, super tight with my dad. That's not to say that we've been, uh, we, we've had a bad relationship or, or any of that. It's just that it's not, I've, I'm so independent that my independence has caused me to, to rarely see my father as someone that I need in life. And so of course, when you're about to lose someone, you begin to see them very differently than, than yeah. how you have. Um, but, but yeah, man, that's, so that's kind of the, the longer than you probably anticipated. No, no, not at all. Story of my, and, and of you my know, childhood. And, and when you and asked if I'd been to your Facebook page recently, I just thought, yeah, yeah, I see you on Facebook. But no, I wasn't aware of, of right. the situation at all. So no, you're right. That was uh, interesting serendipity that that's right where yeah, I wanted yeah. to start. No, that's good. That's a good start. Yeah, that's a good starting point. And that's uh, that's very appropriate to the season that I'm that I'm living in right yeah, now. Yeah, endings and beginnings all wrapped yeah. up in Alpha and Omega in your, in your own right. life right now. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Did you have, you know, I'm always curious uh, with my friends who uh, came from, uh, you know, a strong faith background in whatever tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, did you, was there ever a moment of sort of, I mean, of course, you know, there's always questioning and doubt and that's part of faith. <laughs> but, right. but was there ever a moment where you felt that you kind of, commanded a faith of your own so to speak that you oh. at, at some point did it transform from the what you'd been brought up with uh from your parents and relatives and people around you do you remember any kind of turning point where it became yours where you went okay this is yeah. this isn't just what i was taught this is what i have for myself yeah yeah it's kind of as soon as you said commanding your faith i i had the picture of the movie master and commander and, and just the spaniards on this huge <laughs> old old like sail massive sailboat yeah and uh and just you know my parents like just rocking it uh, somewhere in the in the pacific on this crazy boat and then and then finally i realized man i i really want my own Spanish Jesus sailboat. So I'm going right. to get, I'm going to, you know, now I'm commanding my own faith, but, um, but no, I like, I actually like how you put that uh, at some, you know, at some point, every 
kid who grows up within Christian faith recognizes, or within any faith, recognizes hypocrisy. And, and it's really easy to be the pointer of many fingers at others, you know, rather than to recognize your own hypocrisy. And so that was me. I was really good at pointing my fingers at all of the issues that I saw around me. I had, until I was about 18, I had zero interest in Christian faith. Uh, and I had a lot of interest in other faiths and exploring them. But um, yeah, there was a, I was, I was in South, I was living in South America and I was nearly, arrested and placed in prison 10 years, no questions asked for the distribution of narcotics. And, uh, and so I definitely had one of my, my very own personalized come to Jesus moment. How's that for an ad that we didn't expect was coming? Yeah. Uh, but no, it was, a <laughs> it, uh, it was crazy because my, my good friend back then, child, I remember asking her like, Hey, my life sucks and, and it's looking really miserable. And I've, I don't know, I've got to figure something out because this is not good. I mean, at one point during lunch, right after my friends and I had put away uh, our drugs and, um, and, and like just stuffed everything away, three military police came walking into this park uh, where, where we were all seated with M16s and asked for all of our paperwork. So we're high as kites and, and, um, and I think that e even in that moment, I thought that was funny, you know, and I didn't realize until... I visited four prisons in in Ecuador, South America, that I realized just how ludicrous and, and how dangerous the whole situation was. So I remember uh, my friend telling me, "You need you need Jesus," and um, and I was just I was broken enough, and I was um, frustrated enough, and I was curious enough to get down on my knees and just do you know kind of like pray the stereotypical Jesus, if you're real, I don't really believe in you, but my friend says that you're real and I have a crush on her. So therefore <laughs> I guess I'll at least try this, you know? Yeah. And, uh, <clears throat> and I did that and nothing, nothing changed. I kind of expected in that moment to have angels come in and start singing in the room or, mm -hmm. or like, like at least double rainbows to appear or something crazy, but none of that happened. And, uh, and yet over time, progressively, my, my heart just began to soften toward God, toward Jesus, um, toward the Holy Spirit. And, and so now, 21 years later, that that girl has been my wife for 21 years. It's actually been longer than 21 oh, wow. years since that night. But yeah, it was, yeah. it's crazy how, the, how the, the humor of God works in my life because some of the most significant people and moments have carried through even though I never would have foreseen that. So, um, Which is also yeah. an interesting, uh, a, very, a very kind of profound... Sequence of events when you look at the overall narrative of your life, if you were going to script it into, you know, a movie and say like there's certain acts, right? Right. Uh, and you, here you have this very uh, significant first act where Beth, your wife, your future wife, uh, brings you to Jesus, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And then, and then, you know, in the next chapter, uh, you're bringing her out of the comfort and security of modern suburban life and right. professional <laughs> world of the music industry and saying, uh, yeah. Hey, I, I, I feel like we need to throw everything away and, uh, <laughs> depend on God to, uh, pay our, pay our mortgage and feed our family. Um, yeah, yeah. That's when she was thinking she probably should not have led me to Jesus. 
<laughs> oh, you're oh you're gonna pull me over here now watch where i'm gonna pull you right yeah, yeah. Uh, you started oh, this <laughs> i see i see how this goes <laughs> yeah uh incredible uh but before we get there i want to i want to talk about um you know going from that sort of transformative moment then in ecuador uh to uh, around the time that you and i would have become acquainted which was when you were doing take hold records and when yeah you know furnace fest and all that sort of stuff was happening what was your introduction into kind of the Christian music world and, uh, mm. you know, and how that developed into founding a label and putting out records? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't I guess I, I could get really history nerdy here, but for the sake of time and everyone who doesn't care to hear all that, um, I'll start with the with the tooth and nail side, because that's that is obviously the most um, relevant and, and sort of applicable part of the story. But I was I, I had always been a, a fan of music. And in high school, a youth pastor told me there were bands that sounded like Metallica. And then he in introduced me to like Bride and White Cross and all these really funny, interesting bands that didn't Deliverance, Vengeance Rising, that didn't really sound a whole lot like Metallica at all. But still, I could I could see, you know, kind of where he was coming from. And um, and so I just began discovering Christian music. And I remember going into a family Christian bookstore in what I guess would have been 1993, maybe, maybe 94. Um, and I and I saw an album with this like spiky haired cartoony figure on it. And it said magnified plaid poking at punk, or I think that was the name of that, their first record. And I, and I thought it was a hip hop record, which back then I had zero interest in hip hop. And I, so I mistook the cover and, uh, but I really liked, um, uh, pop punk. And so had I known what it was, I would have been all about it. Uh, but I also discovered Starflyer 59 silver record at, at that same bookstore. And so I just, I, I realized there was a correlation in flipping these CD or act. Well, I think they were CD cases. They could have been cassettes, but no, no, they were CD cases. I mean, this is 1994, dude. We're really cruising. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe long boxes or I guess we were just yeah. out of long boxes. Yeah. 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 This was way before vinyl was cool. Although, although, you know, tooth and nail Starflyer, I did have a, a early Starflyer seven inch and a MXP, a couple of MXPX seven inches that were incredible. Um, but, but man, that just kind of that, I think tooth and nail opened my eyes to the fact that you could be Christian and still really creatively intriguing and, and mm. good and, and uh, exciting. And so it kind of, it probably spurred on this, like, well, maybe there are bands that are Christian that, that aren't Metallica, but that are actually really, really good for, for what they're doing and in their own right. And so I think it kind of gave me a new, newfound appreciation. And so, yeah, out of that, I just, um, I just started selling a couple of random CDs by a record label called Boot to Head Records, and they had a they had a, a artist. <laughs> Sounds uh, like a skinhead label. Yeah, yeah, I know. And <laughs> Boot I to the head, like they were putting called, out Oi and Ska. Right, right. <laughs> Blaster the Rocket Man, I think, was mm. one of their bands. And so, anyway, I started selling. Yeah, I saw some, I, of, some I, of their Burn It Down played with that band once. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I would go to, I would go to old, like back when strong arm played with Zayo on Zayo's very first, um, splinter shards, the birth of separation. I don't even remember the title. It was really, really long, but no, that, that was record. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, 
at that show and many others, Stave Saker, all kinds of MXP, all kinds of bands, I would show up and I'd set up this little tiny booth. And then that kind of morphed into a record store called Slacker 66 that eventually turned into a um, really, really shady, small, sweaty, nasty music venue. But we did have some incredible shows. So a, a friend of mine just reminded me before this call with you that we had Zayo, Training for Utopia, Stretch Armstrong, and Spitfire all, all in this thing. We had Jim, Jimmy Eat World on their Clarity album to the point where wow. I remember Jimmy Eat World coming into my office, setting up their laptops, and I thought, these guys are gods. They have made it because they've got laptops. These things are incredible. <laughs> Nobody had laptops back then, you know. You were rich if you I mean if you had a desktop you were you were rolling. Yeah. So they gave me a, a limited <laughs> a limited edition blue uh, Clarity vinyl and I just remember thinking this is crazy, but it was Jimmy World Clarity Tour at the drive-in supporting with 238 as the wow. opener. And wow. so it just, you know, living sacrifice ended up closing the venue down because so many kids came and I was gone that night and uh, a kid fainted. And so they called 911. 911 called the uh, the fire marshal. The fire marshal came out, shut us down. Uh, but that was, that was you know, right, right around the time that I, I began discovering bands. I, I realized that there were all these bands that Tooth and & Nail and, and other labels weren't signing that got me really excited, like like little bands like Under Oath and, and mm -hmm. 238 um, and A Few Left Standing and all these different narcissists, all these different bands that um, that I thought were really great, but no one seemed to care. And so I just wanted to help them, even though I, I was clueless. I, I studied psychology. I have no rhythm. I cannot sing. <laughs> I can't play a single instrument. I'm the least likely music person on the planet and uh and yet here we are so uh. <laughs> i mean i mean and that's uh you know you found a way to contribute to something that was yeah. so vital and important to you uh, in a way that right. wasn't you were like okay if i'm not going to produce records or perform or get on stage what else can i do you know and I right think there's something to be said yeah. for that obviously um getting those getting that music out and getting records in the hands of people it's funny when you were talking about the laptop thing it reminded me of the first time that I was ever around Wi-Fi, which was probably <laughs> around 2002. Yep. Um, I was uh, hanging out with a couple screenwriters I'd become friends with here in L.A. I just hadn't lived here that long. And I yep. remember being at their house and they were all on their laptops and they were all on the Internet and none of them were plugged into anything. Wow. And, I, and I literally... <laughs> I you remember, were like, I, what is happening? Okay, they, they were showing me Wi-Fi and uh segways at the same time they were showing they were watching videos of people writing segways and i thought the whole thing was an elaborate joke i thought i literally thought they were just making fun of me like there was no way they were on the internet without being plugged in and there was no way these videos they were showing me of people riding around segways were a real thing that those were yeah. real. like the whole thing i was just like i just felt like such a hayseed from indiana in that moment of like here i am in this like <laughs> hollywood house with these like la people and they're yeah. doing this like elaborate practical joke. And then it was like, no, this is, uh, it was all real actually. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. That's, that is, uh, I, I mean, yeah, it's funny to think that once upon a time, even the idea of email was so novel yeah. that it was like, wait, you actually got a message from me. This is crazy. Yeah. So it's, uh, I yeah, man, go, it is... I used to go to the computer lab at the local college where I, I didn't attend. 
with friends at, you know, one in the morning because it was 24 hours. Yeah. That's where right. we would explore the World Wide Web yep. for the first time. That's right, man. Yeah. Think of how wealthy we would be if we went back in time and knew what we know now <laughs> about the internet. I mean, DonaldTrump.com, you know, or <laughs> I don't know what, yeah. <laughs> whatever, whatever domain we wanted to buy, we, man, we would have been, uh, we would have been rolling. Totally. I, no, I was going to ask, uh, you know, quickly, if you could just kind of run me through then that transition between, uh, take hold, you know, being acquired by tooth and nail and that sort of creating yeah. a job for you there, uh, right. and you moving your life and everything, uh, from mm-hmm. the South up to Seattle. Yep. Yeah, if you just kind of quick me quickly run me through that, because then there's a bunch of other stuff I want to get into that. Uh, <laughs> okay. More fun yeah, I mean, they, that. yeah, I mean, I was, I was in about 120 grand of debt, um, credit card debt, mostly a one bank loan to take hold. And, and I, at that point I had basically, I typically in my life, I've had two re- recurring passions that oftentimes run very parallel to each other, music and Jesus. Um, but there are times when either of those fizzle out. So in this, this was a season where music was going strong, Jesus, not so much. And, um, and so I had kind of lost faith in God and I was really just doing my own thing. And, and I told Beth, my wife that I think I thought we should just file for bankruptcy and be done with the whole thing. And she said, no, I totally refuse. We're never going to file for bankruptcy. You know, she was really committed to this idea of not, not filing for bankruptcy. And so she started praying and, and literally within about a week was when I got, I, I had begun receiving an email from, from Brandon Ebel that was tied into the band Fuel F Standing. And he wanted to, distribute their their new album Wormwood and I said man that's awesome of you but I really need help with all of my titles and the whole thing so what have you helped me with the whole thing and he, and then he responded with a typical you know his classy as you well know one liners how much do you want for your company there's no like you know hi have a great day or, yeah, yeah. or you know any nothing literally <laughs> just how much do you want for your company and I thought yeah. who is this guy yeah so um so anyway, I, I threw that, um, ended up over about, I guess, a six month um, time period, ended up flying up to Seattle, meeting with Brandon, um, meeting with Jim, meeting some of the people there, working out a deal, which essentially was to pay off my debt and license a bunch of the the um, catalog to them and start over. And so, yeah, man, it was a lot. That was a very crazy answer to my wife's praying and a, and a very huge surprise to me because I, I once really viewed tooth and nail as the enemy of the work I was doing at Takehold. I thought we were the, we're the self-righteous, um, you know, holier than tooth and nail <laughs> Christian label. And, uh, and of course, you know, all that's horrible to say now. And so, so stupid and, and no wonder, you know, we had to be bought out by Brandon for uh, <laughs> for Jesus to get a plank out of my eye. Oh, dude, you, I don't know. Did you even catch that one? Ah, I, I like did, it. I did not even mean that. I like it. Oh, yeah, yeah uh, so, plank eye. Anyway. Um, <laughs> oh my god, that was like a triple entendre. I liked it. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and I think that that's something that you know, even people who who didn't who don't know anything about the Christian music industry or the Christian music scene can probably relate to in the punk rock world. You know, that idea of like, uh, you know, to the nail had a major label affiliation at one point, but also started as an independent label. But it's certainly grown in size to become sort of the dominant force in that subculture. And then you always have the rabble rousing 
bedroom labels with the scrappier of the bands yeah. that the big label doesn't know about yet and whatever that's that's <laughs> kind of that contrarian uh upstart that views uh what came before as the you know we're the iconoclast and we got to tear that down and and yeah. pick apart and then yeah and, it, and it's interesting is that you know just as brandon goes from starting tooth and nail in his bedroom you know next thing you know you turn around and you're you're the guy who started take hold and all of a sudden you're in seattle a, a, yeah. a record label executive you know dealing with contracts yeah. with emi and all this stuff you know it's like it, right how that whole process sort of you know it's like a blink of an eye a blink of a plank eye it's true and then right right you know, <laughs> a blink of a plank eye. there you are you're doing it too um yeah <laughs> the, th the thing that i wanted to and obviously i'm gonna tell people that they need to read your book and um, a lot of this stuff is, is covered in your book but one of the things i wanted to, to get into with you a little bit is uh before you made the decision to uh, leave the music industry and you know everything that led to come and live and everything that you've been doing for the last several years I want to talk a little bit about, you know, unlike a lot of uh, the position that we all know is A&R in the music industry, you were an A&R person, mm -hmm. you uh, found mm -hmm. talent and developed them and shepherded them in, in terms of their career and were, and were their uh, point of contact at the record label and helped them navigate, you know, dealing with all the other moving parts of the label. And that's what every A&R person does, essentially. But I want to talk about sort of that pastoral role that you had also mm. that was tied into the faith-driven element that's incorporated within tooth and nail somewhere um and with the continuity with a lot of the bands that had christian members whether they were christian bands or whatever um sure you were a person that um you know if bands were having a hard time on the road if there was trouble in uh, a marriage if there were drugs drugs being abused if there were uh questions happening with faith or or you know inner band drama you were kind of the guy right that they the label would send and go like let's fly chat out to warp tour to hang out with these guys and and help navigate these issues or let's um and i'm really sort of curious you know now with with the with the uh the perspective of hindsight and and then years mm. that have come since, you know, because this, I think, was a really sort of a behind the scenes thing and it was uncomfortable to talk about then. But I'm curious now what sort of light you can shed on on that role and obviously the struggles yeah. that 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 comes along with that, <clears throat> you know. Um, sure. It, it, it to me is a very unique feature that's specific to that time and place in music, uh, specific right. to Christian music. Um yeah. <laughs> specific to you as an individual as to the bands of that day and something that I think a lot of people don't know about or understand but mm. you know somewhere in there it's like well the label's not a ministry but it is but it isn't and I'm not yep. this band's pastor I'm their A&R guy but I'm also sort of their pastor and um, yeah. just really curious to hear from you to, to kind of sure. explain well, to I people think it, what that was all about yeah I mean I actually think the role of A&R sets you up better than any other role. Maybe maybe management being the only other role that I can think of that would set you up even better for serving artists or or individual creatives in, in a way that is uh that where you are a peacemaker and you are the you you are a person that they are developing trust with because if they can't trust you 
then the odds that they are going to sign their careers to your record label go down dramatically. So I do think there was a part of me, um, when, when I turned 30, so 14 years ago, I had an encounter with God where I realized that I had been wasting time and wasting my life. And it was in Seattle. It was on the viaduct. I felt like God, in a still small kind of way, asked me why I was I was fighting him. And in that moment, I, I broke down. I very distinctly remember crying my eyes out, weeping, which I very rarely do. Um, but especially in the context of an 8 a.m. commute downtown Seattle on the way to, to Tooth and Nail, I was not expecting that. And so the Lord definitely did something in my heart at that point where I just began to see the artist more for for their spiritual potential than for their career business strategic potential and and I and I you know just obviously I didn't I didn't do it all right and, and it, it took me listening to the under oath podcast uh, on um, on the late the the tooth and nail labeled podcast where um, Toby and Matt and those guys Aaron interview under oath and Spencer Chamberlain singer of under oath said on there, that well, Chad was the one that that like blew my cocaine cover at Warp Tour to the rest of the band, and and I at this point have zero recollection, and that, that's not me trying to to make myself look prettier than oh, I sure. am. I just I just don't recall, but I'm sure he's right. He he has no he has no reason to throw me under the bus other than that was what happened, and and so I think that's a perfect example of who I wasn't really called to be, who I was called to be was Spencer's friend, Spencer's brother, the confidant that Spencer and others could come to and say, hey man, I'm dealing with cocaine or I'm dealing with with um, girls or with drugs or, or, or with alcohol. Cocaine, I guess, technically is a drug, but <laughs> with alcohol or whatever it is. And and um, and they knew that, that I was someone that they could trust. And so it was actually really heartbreaking when I listened to that podcast and um, and I just realized, you know, man, like that's that's horrible. Like, like so I guess when you say it, when you look back that I'm super thankful for what God did. And I do believe he used me in very special and very powerful ways to serve artists as more than just their business liaison. But um, but I also realized that, man, I would have done things very differently had I to do it all over again. And um, and, and so anyway, I think, it, you know, it's like all of us. We, we learn, we grow. We uh, we thankfully are not who we were ten years ago, and uh, there's good reason for that. So yeah, and I would I would I would imagine that in the 14 years of experience that you've that you've accumulated in ministry and, and through doing come and live and and uh, the sort of radical transformation that you underwent as a person and as a believer and, and so on that that guidance and that advice and that relationship that you were able to offer to bands back then would be even so much more where you yeah. had, if you had the opportunity to confront some of those crises at the same time. I don't think that you should beat yourself up that you did a bad job at it then. I feel like I, yeah, no, I think you're right. then too. Um, right. But I think that, uh, yeah, of course it would always, I was learning, I was now. growing, right. I was, I was discovering Jesus all over again. And I just, this time I just happened to be in a position of authority with artists who are, who were themselves in positions of authority, you know, and their platforms mm, yeah. were growing massively and, and so quickly that, uh, that it, it was, I think it was just a, a rush, like a roller coaster rush for everybody. And so to stop and say, Hey, 
Aaron Gillespie, how can I pray for you? Hey, Aaron Lunsford, how can I pray for you? Hey, uh, Ryan Downey, how can I pray for you? You know, it's like there, there was a there was a part of me that I think was beginning to realize that there was more to life than the the rock and roll stardom that we were experiencing, and uh, and just wanting to tap into a deeper a deeper place, you know, with myself, with, with God, with my friends and, and the, the people I was working with. But, um, but yeah, man, I would have, I, I would have exited very differently had I to do it all over again. But, but you're also right. Would, There's no, would point you, in would you say that, that you would reinvent your exit? <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I would actually be the guy jumping off the building, the rooftop. <laughs> we're just, we're just, we're just bumming out so many people with our dad jokes. It's yeah. Great. Yeah. That, this, that's what, this true. What, this but what hey, happens man. when two 1973ers get together. Yep. Oh, that's true. Wow, you're 1973 yeah, too. That's crazy. They call, it, they call it the baby bust. I found that yep. out a few years ago that there's a reason why everyone <laughs> we've ever known seems to be a year or two older than us or a year or two younger. Nobody's ever our exact age. And it's oh. it's the baby bust. There was the baby boom and 73 was the baby bust. There were it was a, a year where there were fewer babies. Wow. Um, huh. we are. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks for teaching me something new. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> I just had this conversation with Rose McGowan, actually, who's a fellow oh, wow. 73-er. Um, oh, cool. So this opens up exactly what you're talking about in this sort of this pivotal moment um, for you. It opens up something that I, I'm most excited to get into uh, with you as a friend and a fellow believer and seeker and everything. This podcast, um, you know, it's had a a very wide section of creative people with diverse yep. experiences in faith sure. or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So opening up this portion of the conversation to both people who are Christians from various faith standpoints, to people who are atheists, to people who are in, wherever they are on the spectrum, sure. you know, are a multitude of different faith practices. Yeah. Um, you are, so charismatic, so passionate, so on fire for your faith that you are the guy that, I mean, the most recent time that we got to hang out, we had breakfast together and, um, you know, you're the guy that starts asking our waitress, not only how can I pray for you in these things that could be considered evangelism, but also just like, how are you? Who are you? What's going on in your life? What, uh, you know, are you, are you married? Oh, how's your husband? Oh, how many kids do you have? How are, oh, they're, they're grown. And what are oh, your grandmother? What, um, Hmm. And I find that that is not only so endearing and encouraging about you, but uh, it's also it's it's terrifying because <laughs> I'm the kind of person, you know, I mean, I've, 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 I interview people for a living. Right. And it's something that I've made a yeah. career out of and so on. And I've get, yeah. gotten on stage as a guy in a band and as a, a presenter or whatever, you know, and, and, hmm. and spoken to people. But that but those one on one interactions with strangers that you push yourself into all day long mm -hmm. that terrifies me <laughs> i mean it just I, I you know and i think it terrifies most people you know and i think yeah it's a unique, yeah yeah i think you're right a unique gift that you have and i think it terrifies you and i think it, yeah, that's it does what's exciting is how you keep pushing yourself through it so yeah that, yeah that's just a, as a topic of conversation something i'm, I'm sure well just to get i mean into. i think the yeah the first thing what i would is say is <laughs> right especially if you know if i can pause briefly to the to the point that you started with which was hey there chad there are a lot of different people listening to this yes. some of them will think you're great because they totally agree with you and your jesus stance some of them will think you're an idiot because they totally disagree and i yeah. think i would just like to start out by publicly saying i i as a follower of jesus apologize 
to anyone who has been burned by people like me or even me and who have, whether it was a church, whether it was an individual, whether it was a politician, <clears throat> and uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know who two, I could be talking about two, there. Two Corinthians? I'm sorry. Go right, on. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whoever it was, I just want to apologize for how misrepresentative I can be. And, and unfortunately, many of us followers of Jesus can be. And so I just feel like starting the conversation on spirituality from a place of, I feel if I can put myself low, you know, if I can bring myself down and humble myself and, and just admit that I don't have all the answers, that I don't have it all figured out perfectly, and my my little faith synopsis is still a work in progress and not not this little birthday Christmas present with a bow all perfectly, you know, put together. Uh, that that to me, I think is a much more genuine starting point than um than anything else. So so what I love most about what you just said is that, Chad, what you do seems terrifying to me. But I also think it's terrifying to you. And that's you nailed it. Like what most people think is that I am not terrified every time I approach a stranger and say, hey, how?" I mean, I'm not I take it back. I'm not terrified to ask my waiter. How are you doing? You know, like, hey, what's your name, waiter? That's not hard. That it's it's but it is terrifying when I begin to feel like the Holy Spirit of God is placing ideas on my heart for that waiter or for whoever the, the, the quote unquote stranger is where, where I could be totally wrong. I get, they, and I am often wrong where I'll be like, Hey, do you, do you have anything going on with your right ankle? Like specifically from a football accident. And they'll just look at me like, dude, I, I weigh 350 pounds and I've never played sports a day in my mm-hmm. life. And, and like, no, I don't have anything wrong with my ankle. And so, it, you know, but it's, um, I think it's just uh, realizing that fear was never who a single Christian was called to be. And Christians of all people were meant to be the most loving, most self selfless, other serving kind of people. And, And I've just wanted to enter more into that story, you know, and like, how do I admit that I suck at it, admit that I'm afraid and and ask if God is real, ask him to give me strength to move past myself. And so that's where I found myself and in, in, in the reason why I wrote a book, because because God gave me strength to take a thousand different risks and, and document them, the good and the bad, the highs and the lows, the miracles of, of crazy proportions, the really, really awkward moments of equally crazy proportions, you know, where, where I'm praying for somebody that doesn't have an arm and I'm saying arm, I command you to grow back right now in Jesus name. And and I'm saying this prayer while simultaneously knowing I'm insane, you know, like, but, but also ha- having this like eager expectation that why, why not do why, why would I not pray the most elaborately huge colossal prayers to the king of the universe if I actually believe he is who he says he is. So um, I still haven't seen an arm grow back from nothing or a, or a leg grow back from nothing. And um, But if that day ever does come, then one, I'm going to faint instantly. And because I don't won't know how to handle the the reality of, of that kind of a crazy thing happening. Um, and then, and then two, um, 
it probably will will not be anywhere near as crazy as I thought because there's just been a lot of little steps leading up to it. And it's like, oh, I fainted and now I woke up and like, oh yeah, dude, your arm's back. Like that is insane, but it but it also isn't that crazy. And um, on that on that front, on the risk level, I was at a Walmart one time and I was with a group of people that I was training on how to not really training, but just just mentoring, maybe, maybe encouraging them with how they could take more risks. And so I said, you know, so let's just, you guys follow me around and I'll just show you what I do. And which is always awkward. It's, it's awkward. I'm awkward enough just on my own, let alone with five other people who are also awkward. And we're all kind of like, <laughs> hmm, how, <laughs> let's yeah. walk around Walmart and pretend like we really want to be here. Um, but I walked up to this guy with a cane and I said, Hey, what's going on with your leg? And, he, and, and, or no, I said, Hey, can I pray for you? And uh, he said, sure. And I said, is it, is it your leg? You know, he had a cane. Yep. It's my leg. And he pulled up his pant leg to, to reveal his prosthetic limb. And, and without, you know, what I should have done was, Hey man, I've honestly never seen God grow back a limb. And if he does, I'm going to freak out, but can, may I still pray a prayer so extreme over you. And then is there anything, you know, that maybe like, Hey, how's your family? You know, can I pray for your family or anything else? It's maybe not quite as crazy. Uh, but instead I just, I pieced out with the whole gang with me. I just, I was like, okay, I didn't even know what to say. I just, I just left and I didn't say anything. I just, uh, (laughs) so there's some guy at Walmart still (laughs) waiting, wondering, (laughs) wondering where Chad went. (laughs) He's like, what are you going to do about my leg here? Yeah. Yeah. Waiting for his miracle that I was meant to deliver. (laughs) Now now you, you raise an interesting point. Um, you know, in so much as you've, you've prayed over people and asked for things that you haven't seen delivered. And of course that begs the question, you uh, have you seen things delivered in those situations you know that's a great begging question yeah uh (laughs) no it's a great question it's 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 uh i think it's probably the most important question for any of us even those of us who are not skeptical cynics which i ironically am both skeptical and a cynic and and i just feel like God, that, neither of those two positions are hard for Jesus to deal with. So routinely for 2000 years, he's been dealing with skeptical cynics. So I think, I, mean, I think th- that all Christians throughout the gospel, all throughout the gospels, Jesus yeah. Christ is a skeptic. Right. And, and <laughs> he's walking are, around questioning everything around him constantly. That was his whole mission. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, I, I have seen, uh, my eyes have seen Jesus perform wonders that make absolutely no physical, um, earthly, realistic sense. You know, like like when when a when a boy is born blind in his right eye, and his mom and his uncle are are called into the church. Uh, from their homes. They don't even know their sons at a church in the first place in the middle of nowhere, Columbia. And, um, and this boy begins seeing and his mom and uncle come an hour later and confirm this and are weeping over it. Um, when I'm in, when I'm at a park in Birmingham, Alabama, and a woman with a blind walking stick and the blind glasses is on gets totally healed to the point of not needing her blind walking stick. Um, I also, I have seen more miracles, supernatural miracles of, um, demonic deliverances of physical healing of people having crazy, 
prophetic revelations from God that I that I or others with me never could have guessed about them. Um, I've seen more of that in the past. I don't know, I guess 40 or something years, or sorry, not in the last 40. I was born seeing miracles. It's weird. Um, sorry, that is not what I meant. The In the past few years, more than ever in the 40-something years prior. And so, uh, there, you know, there's a part of me that realizes that that at the end of the day, all of us, especially in a Western, a wealthy Western culture, have placed ourselves up on pretty high pedestals of what we think is possible. And oftentimes when you get down off of that high horse and you actually enter into poverty, either, either places where there, where extreme poverty is the norm or where, where extreme simplicity of life is the norm, it's, it's all of a sudden not, people don't seem nearly as shocked that they just got healed of a brain tumor disappearing or or of a of a uh, cancer leaving them or of uh, some crazy you know some crazy thing so um yeah man so i don't know i tried to somebody asked me that the other day you know like does prayer actually work and and i told my response was that's basically why i wrote the book because mm-hmm. i'm convinced prayer works even if i don't always see it work the way i want to I've seen more prayers answered in the last couple of years than ever in my life, and and some of them are on such an extreme level that uh, that I myself am just like crying. Like I I, I routinely will see someone healed, and I the only thing I can do is weep because it's like this is so retarded. Like I cannot do this. I don't have the the ability to do this, and um, and so I just think that it's it's actually. I think God actually really appreciates people who are skeptics and cynics and, and and welcomes that. And I don't think that Jesus, you know, when Jesus was alive, I think had anyone questioned who he was, he I know he pointed to the things he did. He even said in the book of John, like, hey, if, if you don't believe in me, then at least believe on the things that I've done. Like, believe the fact that you've seen all these crazy things happen. And I just wonder if that isn't what Christianity was meant to be from the beginning, where you and I could say to to all of our friends that that maybe haven't experienced God in this way, hey man, well look, you know, look at what God did to you. Remember when your when your neck was messed up? Remember when this happened? Remember when this or that? And it's like, oh, oh yeah, that's right, man. A Christian prayed for me. I got supernaturally healed. I didn't. It, this is not a. <clears throat> I went to the doctor and the doctors performed surgery and then something happened. It's um, anyway. That's a long. No, and in terms of two things that that made me think about listening to you, one was that old saying, uh, "God answers all prayers," and sometimes the answer is no. Uh, and uh, and the other is, uh, yeah, in terms of Jesus and questioning. I mean, he was questioning God on the cross. You know, yeah. one of the most famous yeah. utterances of Jesus was a, was you know the end of that story. Still asking questions, you right? Know, there's certainly uh, yeah. the the idea that the Christian tradition is something that should be uh, locked up and frozen in a particular snapshot and never questioned, I think is, you know, it's the antithesis of what the whole tradition was about from the very, it's very Genesis, you know, but all this idea of of supernatural uh, experiences and occurrences is so fascinating. And I think Mm. um, the hardest part of who you are and what, what you represent probably for people to grasp, right. Or, sure. to, or to wrestle with, uh, because I'm sure, you know, even mainline Christians who are still very, uh, 
rationally minded in, in terms yeah. of, their, you know, and, and they can sit and give you the scientific philosophical yep. angle on their reason for the existence of God and for their belief in the Christian faith in particular, but then maybe still aren't willing to go that next step with you of, sure. uh, you know, that you, of intercessory prayer that you can ask God, yeah. uh, Hey, you know, turn this water into wine sort of thing and, and see it happen yeah. in front of you. Yeah. And I, and I would even take it one step further that, that we're, what I'm talking about and what I'm suggesting is, is moving beyond intercessory prayer, which is more of a petitioning God, you know, God, please do this. Or, or I, I beseech you to perform this wonder upon my mother's, uh, you know, cancerous thing or whatever. I don't know. I'm just thinking of some random thing. And, and, and I am, getting back to the model in which Jesus taught, which, which was what you alluded to without, again, prophetically, without even knowing it, is, co- you know, commanding, uh, commanding something to change. Mm-hmm. Jesus did not petition God except for right before he went to the cross. And, and the petition was, if there's any way out of this, will you please show up in that way? Because this is going to be the hardest thing I will ever have to do. And, uh, but when it came to people who were sick or hurting or had demonic, um, uh, stuff going on, there wasn't the, 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 the ways in which Jesus spoke to people were extremely simple, be healed, leave, you know, ve- they were very short, very command focused, which, which that's where I think probably some of my more, um, scientifically minded, uh, realist brothers and sisters in the faith that that are like, well, that's now we're getting a little crazy in our praying because that's a risk. Because if you command something to change and it doesn't, then then well, clearly you don't have faith, or clearly you, you're not doing what what God wants you to do. You don't you're not understanding His will or something like that. So um, so, but I've just I, I just love the idea of going back to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And just looking at how did Jesus pray, and so when someone brought Jesus a problem or an issue, how did he deal with it? And um, and it's totally changed the way that I pray for people and the way that I interact uh, with people, especially when they're hurting and when they're sick and have have issues going on. Well, that's a perfect place to wrap up, as you brought us back to a reference to one of the very first questions I had, um, and brought it all back around. Nice, uh, hey, man, that, that was my point. <laughs> I I I got I got to have you on more and more and more because there's so much more to get into and talk about. Well, thanks, dude. Thank you for having me on here. And thank you for the kindness that you've shown me over the years. I really do value you and our friendship. And I love how this conversation feels as organic as if you and I were sipping coffee, right? That's you know, next idea. to each other. That, that, that's, that's, the, that's the highest compliment you could pay to this, to this uh, podcast. Cause that's exactly how I want all the conversations to feel. And yeah. Um, and I can say as a testament and as, as taking a risk for myself that will raise some eyebrows of friends and listeners, um, a lot of the things that you're talking about and the supernatural stuff I've witnessed firsthand and I've seen happen with you in your presence and in the presence of the Holy Spirit or whatever you want to call it. And this is me as somebody who has said many times on this podcast at the place where I'm at in my own walk, in my own life, is finding beauty and certainty in the mystery and finding sure. finding certainty in the uncertainty and doubt yep. and and places where you and or you and I may diverge and then even sort of yep. angle right back together um and that for all of that I can definitively say I have seen 
I, I have seen a fruit of your prayer mm. uh, in, in my own life. So I know, I know, yeah. I know somewhere well, in all of that, in the big mess of it, there's yeah. something about who you are and, and what you represent and what your book is about that's real. So yeah, well, well, take thanks, that, everybody. That's that's an honor, <laughs> and I yeah, same same way, and it's. It, I, I love the I love that you are giving people space to explore where they're at and not I think a lot of the one of the greatest problems that we've dealt with in faith of any kind is that if you start thinking outside this faith box that then it's over for you and um, and, and that's obviously a really really heavy fear based place to live and I don't the know how ha- any the, the house of cards well if this changes, right, right. Then the whole thing collapsed you know <laughs> yeah. it's like yeah yeah no that it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be that way no no everything doesn't have to be a binary either or proposition you know it's yeah it's all we a can... big mess of nuance and that's that's the fun mm-hmm. and exciting part of it yeah and we get to wrestle through it together and so thanks thanks for including me in the in the beautiful mess ah, that, that was a that was a oh no that was a beautiful mistake I thought I almost had another one, but I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> close. Well, I love I love you dearly, and I thank you so much yeah, you for too, coming bro. on here and for everything that you do and every everything that you Likewise. are. And, uh, and I can't wait to have you back. Yeah, thanks, bro. Love awesome. you too. See ya. Chad Johnson. The book is 1000 Risks. You can find out more about Chad and how to get a hold of this book at chadisliving.com. Now, I know every podcast that you listen to begs for reviews, but seriously, please leave us a five star rating and a nice review in the iTunes store, Stitcher, Google, wherever you consume your podcast. It really does help. The reason why everyone's always clobbering their listeners with this request is because the more reviews you get the higher the visibility for your podcast the more people will discover it if hey and hey if you like what we're doing with the no price from god podcast that's one very easy way that you can support it takes such a short amount of time and and there's such great reward from it (laughs) so please seriously if you've got your phone in your hand right now just do it right now takes a couple minutes tops you can now find No Price from God on Patheos, where we take deeper dives into some of the tangents and topics that are explored on No Price from God. You can also find No Price from God on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at Superhero HQ. No Price from God is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. And as always, you guys have been great, and I've been Ryan J. Downey.